Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Hey, 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 welcome to this installment of Rated LGBT Radio, and yes, I am your host, Rob Watson. We have a, another really fantastic show lined up for you today. I know I always say that, but we do. We deliver. We deliver. And today absolutely will not be an exception uh, to that. Um, the guest we have waiting on, on deck is Barb Morrison. Barb is a platinum record producer, but today, more importantly, they are an author in the house. Uh, Barb just came out with her their memoir, Bottoming for God, um, and there are so many nuances in this book, I barely know where to start, but we will figure that out when uh, we have Barb on. Um, so much, so much to talk to them about. Um, Barb, uh, you 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 may know a Barb as being a top five Billboard dance chart songwriter. Um, They are a platinum record producer. They have worked with artists including Blondie, uh, Rufus Wainwright, uh, and one that uh, you may know if you listen to the show, Tripping Jupiter. We did a show with Tripping Jupiter uh, quite a few months ago, Um, but uh, that that was super exciting, and Barb's name did come up during that show. Um, But again, today our main focus, if I can stay on topic, will be um, Barb's memoir, Bottoming for God. And Bottoming for God is their memoir. It tells the story of their journey from being a punk rocker and a record producer and a film producer in the New York City to finding their true identity as a non-binary person, a spiritual seeker, and a loving partner. Um, the title of the book, um, and I know that <laughs> it is quite a title, um, but it is inspired by a concept from queer theory and Jewish, Jewish mysticism that suggests that some biblical heroes, such as Jacob and David, had to learn to, quote-unquote, bottom for God in order to fulfill their divine missions. This means that they had to surrender their ego, their will, and their power to the higher authority of God and become receptive, humble, and feminine in their relationship with the divine. Um, Just to let you know, uh, Barb has their fans um, among some of the notables, including Debbie Harry, who said of the book, Barb Morrison is a force of nature. Their story is one of courage, creativity, and transformation. Bottoming for God is a memoir that will inspire anyone who has ever felt different, misunderstood, or lost. Barb shows us how to find our true selves and our true purpose in this wild and wonderful world. Um, And as anybody listening to this show knows, we are all about finding your true, authentic self. So before we go on that journey, I do want to welcome to the show Brody Levesque, um, Brody's got some breaking news stories that we're going to cover briefly um, up front, and then um, uh, we will uh, launch into the, the talk with Barb. 
Brody is the editor of the Los Angeles Blade magazine. Um, Los Angeles Blade is a is one of the fastest up and coming publications in the country, certainly in the LA area, and you need to check it every day for new and original news stories. And with that, uh, welcome to the show, Brody. Hey, Rob, and greetings to all of our listeners. We sincerely appreciate you downloading our podcasts, talking to your friends, sharing. It's just an amazing thing, and we're really appreciative. I'm going to start off uh, with an interesting thing that took place yesterday uh, in a very rare move uh, in Japan. And this is an extremely conservative nation. Uh, a major J-pop idol, uh, Shinjiro Atai, announced, uh, and he did this during an in-person event in uh, Tokyo, uh, as well as on his social media, that he was gay. Uh, in a statement posted to his Instagram, the 34-year-old wrote, To all my fans, today was a very special day for me. For years, I struggled to accept a part of myself. But now, after all I have been through, I finally have the courage to open up to you about something. I am a gay man. It has taken me a long time to be able to say that I am gay. I could not even say it to myself. However, I've come to realize it is better for me, both of me, and for the people I care about, including my fans, to live life authentically than to live a life never accepting who I truly am. The feedback uh, from his fan base was incredible. Uh, his bandmates in the J-pop group AAA, which is one of Japan's preeminent premier uh, J-pop groups, uh, were all very, very supportive. Um, in Asia, K-pop and J-pop are uh, popular dance and music and a mesh. Uh, think of one Direction on steroids, uh, and they have a significant impact uh, on young people uh, in the Pacific Rim. So to have a J-pop idol like Shinjiro come out publicly like that is an absolute wonderful thing as a role model for a lot of the LGBTQ kids uh, in the Pacific Basin area. Switching back to the uh, another part of the world, this, this news is a little sad, Rob. Yesterday we lost Irish pop singer Sinead O'Connor. Uh, she passed away at the age of uh, 56 at her home in London. There was a statement that was put out by her family. Um, at this point, there is no cause of death. However, her social media posts previous to the announcement of her passage were a little grim. Uh, about a year ago, she lost her 17-year-old uh, son, Shane, her oldest child, who uh, took his own life. And she had kind of a rough go of it. Uh, the singer had four children by four partners and had been married three times. In 2018, she had changed her name to Shugata Zak. She continued to perform as a counter. And uh, she was also very politically active and open about her life, including uh, her conversion to Islam. Uh, she's probably best known for the Saturday Night Live uh, special uh, in 1992, where she was doing a sketch and a song, and she tore up a photograph of then-Pope John Paul II uh, in protest of the sexual and other abuse of children within the Catholic Church. Uh, it turns out that, uh, yeah, she was ahead of the curve when it came down to pedophilia in that institution and getting wild about it. Um, 
over the years, uh, she's been an acclaimed artist. Uh, her music is amazing. Uh, her politics sometimes can be offensive. Uh, she was very open about her battle with uh, mental health challenges and issues. Uh, and she was also queer. Uh, in an August uh, 2011 uh, article from my colleagues at Reuters, uh, it was a central focus. And she essentially said that she is kind of not exactly a lesbian and kind of not exactly, you know, straight. And in and, and talking with uh, with Entertainment Weekly, uh, she told Entertainment Weekly, and I always found this was Good quote. I'm three-quarters heterosexual, a quarter gay, but I lean more towards hairy blokes. So she is gone uh, at age 56, and the music world and the rest of the world is uh, at a loss of it. Um, in other news, real quickly, uh, we had a couple of other things go on. In Los Angeles County, there was a beating of a trans, an African-American trans male, uh, in Whittier, California, in February of this last year, it was caught on video. Uh, they just released the video this past weekend. It has created an incredible stir. It's another case of excessive force, or what appears to be excessive force, caught on camera. Uh, I spoke to uh, uh, the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Office, and they are now investigating the deputy that's involved. Uh, and more to come on that. But again, uh, this has become extremely problematic, uh, as you know, in relations between law enforcement uh, and the black community, the Latino community, and of course our own queer community. So we're keeping an eye on that. Um, I need to point out that we had a study from our media partners at Media Matters in Washington, D.C., Meta, which of course is the primary platform for both Facebook and Instagram and the new threads. Um, we're now finding, unfortunately, that it looks like Meta is kind of allowing some hate speech to proliferate on threads. Although I will note the people on threads have gotten very savvy about blocking off the idiots right away, which is a good thing. So uh, if you head over, it's the fourth popular story at DLABlade.com, uh, Meta allowing misinformation and hate speech. And I'll wrap with this. Yesterday in Michigan and Lansing, Michigan's Democratic governor uh, really did a nice thing for us. Governor Gretchen Whitmer signed two bills that ban conversion therapy for minors uh, in the state of Michigan. That now makes Michigan the 22nd state to ban conversion therapy for LGBTQ plus youth. Um, the legislation effectively bars mental health professionals from seeking to alter a minor's sexual orientation or gender identity. And uh, if they try, they can risk facing state disciplinary board action that could result in loss of their professional uh, licenses. Now, the legislation doesn't prohibit the practice of gender-affirming care or support during exploration of gender or sexuality counseling to prevent unsafe relationship practices. And that distinction needs to be made. Okay, so there are going to be conversations, usually private ones, especially in school settings, uh, between questioning queer kids uh, and counselors. So the legislation allows for those type of situations to be talked out. However, conversion therapy is a definite no-no. So thank you to Michigan Governor uh, Whitmer for her support. And that's basically a roundup from where I'm sitting.
Okay, great. Thanks, Brody. And I do want to uh, bring up one thing on threads that you had mentioned. Um, for our listeners or anybody else, I am on there. Um, I have uh, 4,100 followers so far. Um, and <clears throat> that is the culture. Uh, it's, it's almost like there is a agreement amongst the community on threads that we block out anybody who um, is going to promote hate speech is is going to be derogatory and um, that is the culture we we've mutually shared all the sites or all the accounts that need to be blocked and they can get on there with their hate speech but we've learned that we're not trusting the platform anymore we're going to do the blocking ourselves and so um, if you do join threads which I would encourage because there are some really wonderful conversations that are going on on threads and incredible sharing, including um, a share of these shows on threads. Uh, I'd encourage it and look me up um, and look Brody up. We're both on there and uh, hope to have that conversation. So I want to pivot to our guest today, uh, Barb Morrison. I, before I bring Barb on, uh, the book, of course, is Bottoming for God. And in the true form of bottoming, I want to start with the end, and we will work backwards. But this is um, part of the conclusion of the book. I inhale and listen. I listen to the song of the pond and the wind and the trees, and I exhale and listen. I listen to the song of the birds and the frogs and the insects. I listen. I listen. To every sound of the cities I have lived in, the friends I have cried with, and the families I have laughed with, I listen. To the sounds of all the times I have tried to control my narrative, to force my will, I listen. To all the times I have laid on my back and let go, the universe love me and teach me through the art of allowing. I listen so I can embrace every gift, every lesson the universe has for me, and so I can come back home again by bottoming for God. And with that, I want to welcome to the show, Barb Morrison. Barb, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Brody, and thank you, Rob. Oh, thank you for being here. Um, like I said, we, we, you burns, burns. your ears may have been burning um, a uh-huh. few months ago when we had Tripping Jupiter on. Tripping was um, very um, demonstrative in terms of, of their affection for you and the work they've done with you. Um, the feeling I'm is mutual. By, the feeling is mutual. Oh, yeah. It's, it's terrific work, and um, we've promoted it ever since. Um, Thank the, you. One thing um, – Trying to stay focused on you as an author, I'm absolutely influenced by you as a musician and your incredible musical catalog and history there. And I found in reading the book, feeling that same artistic spirit within your writing as I did within your music. It is big, pushing boundaries, sometimes erratic very rhythmic, um, you know, and kind of folds in on itself. Um, times of poignant high points and, um, and lulling you into to, um, peacefulness at others and then boom, back in your face again. Um, 
Mm. How would you define your artistic spirit in your journey of, of self-discovery? Mm. Well, that was really uh, interesting hearing you um, kind of describe the way the book felt to you because um, I did that on purpose, not completely consciously, but I did want it to feel like it was different songs on an album, you know, which is kind of like an art form that we don't even have anymore. But um, yeah, the way you said, like, it took you like up, punched you in the face, and then kind of like took you to some peace. And I think that, um, you know, all good art does that all good art either gives you a you know a dramatic feeling and emotion or just taps into human nature which you know I mean that's what that's what good art is it's like it makes you remember kind of like who you are you know as a human absolutely and um I I I loved reading your memoir first before I saw any other write-up about you um, because mm. I had to laugh in looking at at your um, some of the bios on you. It, it kind of talks about um, uh, Barb is an American musician. Um, they started playing piano at age seven, saxophone at age nine, and guitar at age 17. Then they moved to New York and became part of the punk rock scene. And it was like sort of this benign, sweet little, you know, picket fence, suburbia type description of your life. Reading your book, oh my God, it was so different. Um, huh. The the blend of your parental treatment and abuse that you went through as a young person from being raised, and I'm sure there was love somewhere in the fabric, but through abuse and violence as well, um, can you describe your start um, and and how you feel like that catapulted you into your art form? Yeah. Um, the the reason why I don't like straight out call it a memoir is because it actually feels like about like a tenth of a memoir to me. Like I, everybody came up to me after the book was done and was just like, did you include that story about blah, blah, blah? And I was like, I couldn't because that was a whole book on its own. So Mm -hmm. luckily I have enough stories and memoir stories that like I have some other books coming. So um, I just wanted to kind of clear that up. Like it's, it's partly a memoir, Um, but you know, we have to, we have to, it has to fit on the shelf somewhere. Right. So, uh, you know, we're using that word. Um, The answer to your question, Rob, is, um, you know, there was, it wasn't all bad, right? I had a great family. My dad was, he was actually a really cool guy uh, before seven o'clock at night. Um, <laughs> he really, he really loved the family. He was smart. He taught us a lot of stuff. He was hysterically funny. Um, and my mom, you know, she did the best she could, but she, um, she, you know, she cared about us. They were just, they were old you know world war ii people that you know that era that generation they didn't have all the self-help lingo that we have now they didn't have therapy they didn't you know it was it was kind of like uh, a failure if you had gone to therapy in that generation so um you know they did the best they could 
But um, I definitely found music as a savior very early on. And I realized that, like, I could self-soothe with that. And I also could, like, make people happy with it. So um, that became, like, my best friend, you know, that and some other art forms. And, um, you know, uh, my family, everybody was a little bit musical but not like all the way musical. So I was the one that like went in head, head and feet first. And, um, you know, I was saying to my wife last night, I knew what I wanted to do at 10 years old. I knew I wanted to be a musician. I knew, or, you know, I didn't have a choice really. Um, so it just began, you know, I got in all the bands and all the, you know, all the stuff in school and, at 14, I, you know, joined some punk rock bands, and then it was, it was off to the races. Yeah, it's one thing, sort of back down to you before you, you joined the bands, um, thinking back to your childhood, and you were aware early on that, you know, fitting into the, the girl mode wasn't for you, uh, much to the disappointment of your mom, who one of the joys she had in having you was that you were the first girl in the family and she was going to get right. to dress you up and do all that. Um, right. You do share a story of, of in when you were a child in, I guess it was like a kindergarten class and what happened there that was sort of your first awareness that you weren't playing by the rules. Um, can you tell us about that? Yeah, I, you know, one of my earliest memories was really deep down in my soul feeling that I wasn't cisgender. And, um, and, you know, this is why I think, um, you know, I always say, like, I grew up kind of feeling like I was the crazy one, but, you know, little kids shouldn't feel like they're crazy, right? So I, as I grew up, I realized, oh, they're telling me a thing that's not it's actually not right. And I had to trust my instincts the whole way. But, um, you know, luckily I found my group of friends and I found my peer. Um, and today the kids have the internet that they can have community with. And they also, you know, I want to thank you and Brody also for, you know, raising voices with this show. It's, it's really, really important. Um, I didn't have that stuff growing up. We had David Bowie and we had Boy George once I became a teenager, but we didn't really have any positive queer, you know, uh, any positive queer people to look up to. It was always the, it was always the butt of a joke. Somebody was, you know, always the butt of a joke. So, you know, it's very swimming against the current with that stuff. Um, and, I made it out alive so far, you know, <laughs> the world can really tear you down. Uh, yeah. The the world and our, our own um, addictive demons that, uh, you know, we, we, we carry along with us. Um, I did want to Barb, ask you about one thing you just said though, about um, knowing at a young age that what they were telling you wasn't the truth. Um, and this is a question I've asked of, a number of uh, queer artists just because it's probably my bias and what I think about it is that uh, I think in some ways that perception and that realization is what 
instills creativity in a lot of us because we grew mm. up already questioning the the parameters that, that we were being given. And so as soon as mm. we turned that into an art form, we were willing to break the parameters that were part of the art form as well. Did you find that yeah. true for you? Absolutely. And that, in essence, is, you know, that is bottoming for God because that's taking, you know, uh, adversity and, kind of like allowing it to be what it is and then kind of going, like making it better. You know, um, I have to say real quick before I forget, I never heard that Jewish myth, the Jewish mysticism uh, definition of bottoming for God that you started the top of the show with. That was very interesting, Rob. Oh, I had never, I had <laughs> well, never heard that before. And I was like, you were describing it. And I was like, wow, what is he even saying? I'm, I wanted to look into it, but it's, you know, this is this is what the concept of the book is about. It's about taking adverse something that you think maybe is labeled as like bad or a challenge or something that's you know adversity, and kind of turning it into acceptance and making it the best way you can. Absolutely, um, I I have to say I relate to that. On, on an extremely deep level, and what I'm about to mm. tell you will probably help define it for you why I relate to it on that level, which is um, I come this coming March, I will be celebrating 42 years clean and sober. And oh, I know you have, so have great. Long, long-term sobriety. So I recognize, oh, well, you too. And I recognize um, the path. That I mean, yeah. and I think it is it is a path of bottoming for God with a lot of different scenarios that can be played out on that path. But um, you know, definitely, you know, if if you're on that path, you can't help but grow. It it sort of is just part of the deal that you're going to grow if if you're clean and sober and you have to keep dealing with life as as it comes at you. Um, so well, I mean, big, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can stay stagnant. You absolutely can. I've seen some people stay stagnant, but it's like if you do the work, you absolutely will grow. Yeah, it's, I, I, and I'm, I would say even people that I see stagnant, stagnant, it's like it's it's all relative because I see True. them that their stagnant is um, maybe leaps and bounds for where they started. But um, yeah, sure. it, but definitely you. I mean, there is definite mindsets that are kind of like mental addictions that you you can you know you're changing yeah. chairs on the Titanic. But um, one of the things yep. in the book I actually I laughed at um, was when you described back in the day um, trying ecstasy and how you found that <laughs> to be this completely ridiculous drug. And I related to it because I was I was a full on alcoholic. And one night I went out and did meth, and meth oh is God. made me very aware, very alive, very oh horny, and I couldn't <laughs> get it up. Which meant that, right. and I, I, at the end of it, it was like this is the stupidest drug anybody right. has ever come up with. To oh I God. don't want to be this awake, and I don't want to be this horny, and if I am this horny, I want to be able to do something about it, and it's all baked into this one thing of insanity but you you had that around ecstasy so what um what was that like i mean you were living in a crack house 
what was that environment, especially in an artistic music oriented world that you were in yeah. at that time? Yeah. Um, well, you know, it was the time in the eighties when crack had just hit New York city. So everybody was very uh, simultaneously curious and terrified of it. And um, at the same time, art was really like the art scene in New York was just so, you know, it was Basquiat, it was Keith Haring, and the music was also had an edge. I mean, not just New York City. Jane's Addiction came out. That was, I think that was L.A. Guns N' Roses had just come out. The punk scene was like booming. And um, I think that it had a lot to do with, you know, obviously politically what was happening, but also, you know, the AIDS crisis, the kind of drugs that were coming out and, um, you know, everything affects everything, right? So um, I just think that the art that was being made was a reflection of, you know, everything that was going on in the world. And it was a very... um, it was a very intense time. And yeah, at the time I was not sober yet. Um, I was living in this, it was kind of a squat. It wasn't a full blown crack house, although we called it a crack house, but it was like, you know, you can read in the book about it. Like there was a guy who was in charge of the building, but it was, you know, a brown paper bag and cash. And we had, um, we had managed to make a little apartment for ourselves. We got some locks on the door and, um, you know, some dirty futons on the floor and we made a life of it. And it was all the stuff, New York city in the eighties and alphabet city in the East village is known for, you know, it was, it was raw and it was tough and, um, I am grateful for it, but I definitely, would not want to be doing that today. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, well, you know, it, in, in a certain sense, because the, I was in LA and, you know, in, I mean, whenever you have drugs and alcohol and all that, your environment is going to be absolutely nuts. So anyway, I was not fortunate to be in a place where you could fold that into what you wanted to do creatively or whatever. It was, you know, it's like when you're, you're in an office building they they don't get it the same way that they do when you're in a rock band, but um, right. yeah. One of the things in this in the book you talk about a leather hat that played a role in moving you forward in your your music career. I, I do oh, want yeah. to jump forward though to what what tell about what got you sober. What was the thing that made you pivot in your life at that time? So, you know, I'm going to use the stock phrase of I was sick and tired of being sick and tired for sure. But um, I had the, you know, I had the generic soul sickness that addicts and alcoholics have. And I already had grown up not like feeling like I fit my body correctly because, you know, of being trans non-binary and queer and, you know, you have society telling you a bunch of stuff. So, these voices also perpetuate like self-hate. And so I had a lot of, um, I just had a lot of soul sickness and, you know, I did have good friends. I had a great chosen family that loved me very much. Um, But I write about this in the book, you know, I, 
I was basically tricked into my first AA meeting. <laughs> and um, I didn't, I thought it was a, like a, you know, I thought sobriety was kind of like a load of crap because I did know this one friend of ours who, you know, he was sober and he, we just felt sorry for him that he was sober. <laughs> like, we were like, what a bummer for him. And so my first month of like, you know, after being tricked into that first AA meeting, my first month of going there, I still bullshitted my way through. I came home, I smoked pot, I was eating Valium like crazy. And, um, and then as I talk about in the book, I had that one day I had the epiphany that, um, you know, my, if I am going to do this, my sobriety is between me and whoever my higher power is or the universe or some people like to call it God. I've never really been that afraid of the G word, um, even though I should be because I'm a recovering Catholic. But, um, you know, the G word for me is just like anything you want it to be. Like if you want to say God, that's fine. If you want to say the universe, if you want to say higher power, some people it's nature for them going out into nature makes them feel close to God. Um, but I had that moment where I was just like, wow, this is really between me and whatever is out there, this force of the universe. And nobody's going to check up on me other than that thing. And so I could really bullshit my way through this or I could do it right. And that was December 4th, 1989. And I have been clean and sober since. Yeah. Yeah. And congratulations. That, that, Thank That's you. amazing and a and a blessing. What um, artistically, what do you look at and feel like the impact is in terms of your creativity, sober versus before? Like night and day. Like I I, you know, I'm not gonna say doing drugs is bad for creativity because we know we have a lot of great art that's been out there. Jimi Hendrix, Salvador Dali, Walt Disney, what, you know, we, we have some, we have some great stuff that has happened uh, under the influence. But for me, um, I just found an authenticity. Um, and, you know, that didn't come easily. That didn't come right away in sobriety. I had to actually work on it. I don't, feel like uh I don't feel like I stopped listening to outside voices of what I was supposed to do creatively probably well into like sobriety I was really worried about like fitting in like you know I went from like being like punk rock and all this stuff against the rules to I got sober and I was in this band and we got signed and you know the record labels and stuff they will tell you a lot of lies and, you know, we, we just saw it this week. We saw it yesterday with, um, now I forgot what Sinead O'Connor's name is, Sheb something, Shabadoo or something like that. Do you remember what her name is? Um, I, I don't. I, in fact, when, when Brody mentioned it, I was like, oh, okay. I think I was unaware. Shuhada, yes, Shuhada. I just wanted to address her respectfully by the name that she wanted right. to be used, using. Um, but, you know, um, I think that a lot of people around her for decades told her she was wrong and told her she was crazy. And this is somebody who sold over 7 million records, you know? 
so I think that for me, like I had a lot of record labels and outside people kind of like finger wagging and saying like, if you're going to play the game, you got to do it this way. And at the same time, I was getting sober while this was happening. So of course I was just like, you know, you're questioning yourself. You're like, do I, do I listen to like, how, how do I bottom for God there? Right. Like, do I listen right, to them right. or do, or do right. I forge through? Do I, do I top or do I bottom? Right. And uh, I actually think that pandemic changed me a lot. The pandemic made me, you know, we all went inside during the pandemic. We all went inside ourselves. And I, I had this moment during the pandemic where I brought it right back to basics of like, the childlike part of me that was just like, oh, why did I use art? Why did I let you, why did I let art use me? Why did, what was the reason I started making music? And the first record that came out of that epiphany for me was that Tripping Jupiter record. And I just said to Madstone, I was, I was just like, let's just like, if it's weird, it's weird. Let's make it weird. If it's pop and big, let's make it pop and big. You know what I mean? Like we, I was just like, let's listen to our intuition and really be authentic about this. And that is not an easy thing to do. Cause like I said, you have people in the industry definitely telling you how they think it should be done. So that also brings me to, and I know you didn't ask me this question. I'm going a little off topic, but that also brings me mm-hmm. to the reason why I actually, I didn't, I didn't send this book out to publishers because I did not want them to change it. This was authentically me. So I put it out myself. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, and, and I loved your work with uh, Tripping Jupiter. It, you know, and, and this will, I'll, I'll kind of fanboy it, so whether this is off base <laughs> or not. But I, I really felt like it was um, reincarnated Bowie. I mean, it was like Bowie just came through on so many levels. Um, uh, through, through yeah, Madstone. Madstone is definitely Madstone. Mad Madstone is definitely channeling some Bowie for sure. But uh, ch- channeling a lot of things, but definitely there's some Bowie in there for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that was among other things. That was the 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 thing that had impact on me. Um, I want to ask you, and this is also deviating off it a lot, but kind of back to the. Kind of bottoming, bottoming or topping um, analogy. Um, you work with a lot of heavy hitters, and when you're in the studio and you're producing, who's top and who's bottom? You are the big name artist that you're working with. So it's absolutely. I always say I'm versatile anyway, <laughs> like in general. So, um, but it, but it's it's a, it's a flow. It's absolutely a flow, and you have to know how to do the dance. And also you left out one very important character. You named two, you named me and the artist, but another big character is the studio itself. Sometimes you just, sometimes you just have to let the studio do its thing. And that is sometimes very difficult for the artist because that really takes a lot of trust. And, you know, the studio is an instrument. It's, you know, this is all kind of Brian Eno philosophy, but like the studio itself is an instrument and you can use it and you can also let it like, um, you can let it guide you. And 
So as far as the bottoming or topping is, I, I feel like I use the same philosophies as I do in the book or in the concept, which is, I mean, look, Rob, these philosophies go, these have been debated since the time of Aristotle and Socrates, right? So like we wake up in the morning and what is free will and how much of our will do we put into our day? So the same goes with the studio, you know, Um, I learned very early in my career that if I think something is an extremely bad idea, sometimes I have to take a breath and just give it a chance in the room. You know, I'll have an artist say, oh, pizzicato strings should be on that. And I'll, me and my engineer will look at each other. We'll be like, that's going to ruin this song. And then we'll try it and we'll be like, huh, that was actually genius and it belongs there. Mm. So you have to know how to do the dance. And that's, again, why I say, like, it's important to be versatile. Like, sometimes you do have to top. Because another part of my job as a, as a producer is to time manage, and I have to make sure that the artist isn't hemorrhaging their money out the window, you know <laughs> what I mean? And so we're, you know, working on a snare sound for four, four hours. We can't, we can't do that. So they have to trust me that, like, I'm watching the clock, I'm helping them steer the ship, I'm steering a little bit, and, you know, I'm giving everybody a chance to put their voice in. Right. And that, I'm sure, is where sobriety comes in handy. That sober yeah, mind watching yeah. the clock. Yeah, definitely. definitely. For sure. For okay, sure. so, Barb, I want to pivot on another part of the book that I just absolutely blew my mind, that I was absolutely fascinated with. Um, and, you know, for our listeners, you know, if you think this is a little woo-woo, then, well, tough. But um, it's my show, and you have to get over it. But you, uh-huh. at one point with a therapist, went through past life regression um, and, you know, put yourself in touch with you in other realms of, of when you have lived. Um, first yes. of all, what was your thought process going into that, and what was your first aha moments as you started that process? Well, my thought process going in was extremely cynical and skeptical. Um, I am definitely a possibilian. I don't know if you've ever heard that term, but like, I'm always like, huh, that's possible. But like, I'm always kind of like, convince me, you know what I mean? Like, I'm a little bit like, you gotta, you gotta convince me a little. So um, I went into it just being like, this has got to be like power of suggestion. Come on. And my first aha was, um, and I talk about this in the book, was um, the past life regressionist brought me to a life and I described myself as a prairie woman and there is absolutely no way I would have done that in a million years. I would have been like, I would have picked something way cooler, like a, you know, a boxer that like, you know, died in the ring in the golden gloves or something, you know, like I, I don't, I definitely know nothing about prairie women. I didn't grow up watching Little House on the Prairie. I was raised by these three guys, which was, you know, my dad and my brothers, and we watched NFL games together. So I I knew nothing about the Prairie or nothing about Prairie women. And when I described, you know, her and, and how she was dressed and where she lived, when I came out of that regression, I was just like, wait a minute, this is, maybe this is something, you know, like maybe... So I did it for two years and, um, 
you know, some people think it's a load of crap, but I absolutely am a believer. I think we are, I think we have past lives for sure. I am on. I think we had a slight technical issue with the airport. <laughs> I, was, ah. I was I was listening to your answer though, and it was like, okay, that makes complete and utter sense. You know, huh. when you were doing as a writer, and this is a question I've got because you know, obviously as a journalist writing is like part and parcel of what we do. Um, when you're looking at your subject matters, you were putting it together. Um, and because of your background in music, I guess my question would be, when you, you started to lay the book out, talk to me about a thought process that went with it. Did you lay it out the same way you would, like, say, in a song composition or songwriting in, in just kind of a narrative sort of way? Um, or how did you put the pieces together and you went, you know, this is the way I want to approach this? So I'm talking to Brody now, right? Not Rob? Yes, I'm sorry to okay. say Brody. Okay. Yeah. I switched I, over I, and I, I was back, like, huh. but... Okay, I, I I am back. I apologize. I Brody, got bumped I, off for some reason. But yeah, go ahead, Brody. Okay, yeah, no, Brody just I, I Brody was just asking. Yeah, yeah about the about the laying out the laying out of the book, right? Like how I laid it out. Um. So so how I did it was uh, I wrote the first four chapters a couple years ago, and then I really sat on them and I did a couple of readings and people really seemed to respond to the first four chapters. They were like, you have got to write the rest of this book. So um, I'm a little bit codependent. I don't like being away from my wife and I don't like being away from my um, house on the Delaware River, but I bit the bullet and I went to new uh, to LA. I have an LA apartment and I just locked myself in the apartment and I gave myself a word goal and I basically just puked the rest of the book out. I mean, it was, it was really not like um, I didn't like hem and haw over it. It's more of like, it's a punk rock song. You know what I mean? I just kind of barfed the rest of the book out and it just came out as is. I had a couple of my friends look it over and, you know, we looked for like mistakes and stuff like that. And then I, I was all set to send it out to be shopped to publishers. I was all set to do it. And um, as you can see from the, the back cover of my book, I'm friends with Elizabeth Gilbert and I called her and I said, Liz, am I crazy? I really think I want to put this out myself. And she said to me, I think it's the best thing that you could do because they are going to try to change it for you. And I was like, really? I really feel nervous about like putting this out myself. And she said, Barb, you've lived your life with no rules. She goes, you don't even sleep at the same time people sleep. I go to bed at like 7 o'clock in the morning. She goes, why would you start now? And so we have a joke now that I always say the the nice white eat, pray, love lady from Connecticut had to remind me to be punk rock. <laughs> I always like, I say that now. I was like, and she's like, yeah, cool. You can say it, you know, but it, she did. She had to remind me to like stay punk about it, you know? And um, she was just like, they're going to try to change all of it. She said, this book is so authentically you put it out just like this. So that was the way I did it. Brody, I just like first four chapters were a couple of years ago. Rest of it, I just was like, blah, 
here it is. Had a couple people look it over, and then I self-published. Okay. Well, that certainly is a tale that I've heard, not just from you, but a few other authors that have found themselves, you know, in that place where it's more of a of a brain dump, <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. We're just gonna we're just gonna brain dump this, and then we're just gonna rearrange the sentences. So yeah, no, I completely get that, Rob. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. locked myself in the, in the apartment and went for it. Yeah. So I apologize for that. I got yanked off, and and sort of in the the bottoming for God theme, um, I felt like I was asking a question that was actually a little bit of a spoiler alert for people, and kind of going, okay. Somewhere, somewhere, some power does not want that question asked. So I'm not going to ask that question. Um, All right, and we won't even get into the fact, and Rob, we won't even get into the fact that you just said you were yanked off while you were bottoming. (laughs) See how ingrained that is for me? (laughs) We won't go there. (laughs) We will not go there. Uh, (laughs) So, Barbara, I want to go kind of big picture on, um, you know, kind of life reflection and you've got a lot, a lot more books in you obviously so I do. I'm sure these I do. themes will 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 come out but um what have you found the process being of dealing with your ego and I guess my bottom line question is when you look at that and you're dealing with your ego what do you think your ego is for you Mm, whoa, I didn't know you were going to get this deep. Um, okay, so um, this also has to go with the topping and bottoming and free will type of, like, philosophy, which is, you know, how, how do I know when I'm right? How do I know when uh, my word goes? You know, how do, how do I know that? And I think that um, ego is a word or a concept that doesn't always mean that you think you're the greatest person. Sometimes it means that you're very self-centered and you think you're the worst person. So I think anything that's ego-based is just really self-centered, really. Um, And I just, I learned through recovery that that's, you know, the ticket to serenity is to not be self-centered. And um, I just, uh, God, it's, you know, we do have to have, we have to have self-esteem. I believe that it's healthy to have like a tiny bit of hubris, especially in this industry. You have to have a little bit. Um, But as far as ego goes, you got to check it because it's, you're not always right. You know, and I want to be open to other possibilities. Like I said, I, I definitely um, subscribe to the uh, possibilianism of most things that go on every day. I'm just like, huh, well, I mean, I just heard that thing about the UFOs and the government, and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know anything about UFOs, but maybe. So as yeah. far as, like, my ego involved in that, I'm just a little bit like, Maybe I don't know everything, you know. I don't. I would like to learn. I'd like to be open-minded, and um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I think to be an artist, you have to have you have to have some ego, but you you can't be too self-deprecating. I always like to say the best way to be is just right-sized. Just try to be right-sized. Try to straddle that line of like 
I'm very good, and I still have some stuff to learn. Excellent. Well, yeah, and that I think that is always being open to being taught and learning, which is what I love to do as a writer. It's like I that's why I love being a writer is because I have to learn every single day something new about a person or a thing or whatever. Um, to that end, you know, part of what what you've come to in terms of your own self definition is non-binary, and yes. Obviously, in our society right now, it is a, the, a younger generation that fully seems to grasp the concept of being non-binary and what it is. Um, what, mm. what do you appreciate learning from younger queer people that they're finding out uh, that uh, older people may have trouble learning? So much. I mean, I try as much as I can to hang out and listen to, I I have a a handful of, I was actually just on the phone with a teen uh, singer songwriter last night around 1am and she was just, she's so cool. And she just was, I just listening to her talk about music and talk about life and you know, I try as much as I can to listen to them. And also, I also try to listen to, like, the seniors, the old people. Because both of – and this is how I, I try to stay right-sized if I can. I, I want to straddle both parts of, like, you know, I want to hear the wisdom from the old people. I want to hear the wisdom from the young people. So as, as far as the youngsters with the queer stuff, my God, thankfully, they are they're, – they're so cool about it, and they're so – they have a very whatever attitude, and I love that. And even the boys, as far as, like, this to- toxic masculinity that we all grew up with, the boys now are, like, softening a bit, and the boys are more open-minded, and they need that. Men need men need softness, you know what I mean? Men need physical touch. Men need, you know, vulnerability. So it's just been so beautiful to watch these young kids really make a point at, you know, not posturing with all these old concepts that we grew up with. Um, yeah, I just, I try to listen to them. Like you read at the, you know, at the top of the show, you read that last stanza from the book. I, I try to listen. I try to listen to them and see what I can learn. And also as a music producer, record producer, they don't call it record producer anymore, but I'm, I'm 56, so I'm allowed to call it that. Um, but, <laughs> a, you know, a, a, good, a good record producer listens. So I try to listen to the yeah. kids, absolutely. Yeah, and listening, um, you do something that I've really not – well, I definitely have not seen of somebody of your stature doing before, and I honestly haven't seen of any of the other artists that I've ever talked to you before, but you actually have a mentor program that you put yourself out there and open yourself up to mentor people. Tell us about that. Well, you know, it started during the pandemic and because I know that everybody wanted to make music during the pandemic. And I just thought to myself, I could do this on Zoom with people. And then it turned into this really beautiful thing. It started with teens but then now I have, I have a guy in his 60s that's one of my um, uh, music mentor people. I have people in their 40s. And basically, I mean, it's just, I, I'm kind of loosely kidding, like, but it's, it's really 
therapy with music is what it is. You know, we get on the call, we get on the Zoom call, I ask them how they're doing, I try to pull out some truth out of how they're doing, and then we try to put that into a song, and my goal is to just help people get to their truth. And that is such a beautiful process to watch, especially when somebody is really, really fearless and willing to do it. So, you know, and, and, and to me, that's the reason we make art, right? We talked about this earlier. It's like, just get to your authentic mm-hmm. self. Don't listen to the, the voices of the industry and stuff of how you're supposed to do or what box you're supposed to fit into. Um, so, yeah, Music Mentor, it, it, was a, it was a thing that came out of the pandemic, and I still do it, and I really enjoy it a lot. It's very different than being in the studio. You know, I'm in the studio long hours. This is just like one hour shots of like checking in with people. What are you working on? What are you really trying to say in that song? Um, you know, who do you really want to tell a story to? I have uh, um, one of my music mentor people, you know, he was talking about he really wanted to get a message to one of his kids. So we had him write a song about it. And it's a beautiful song. It's not out yet, but he's going to put it out soon. And you know, it's heartwarming. It's authenticity. It's it's real. It's what you know. You want to leave that legacy behind when you're not here anymore. You don't want to leave a bunch of. It's so bowls. awesome. So awesome. So Barb, we are literally out of time. Um, I do okay. want to mention um, that for folks who need to know more, which you do, go to bar barbmorrisonmusic dot com. Uh, Barb, I assume the book is available on Amazon, etc. No, it's not on Amazon yet. It's going to be on Amazon next month, but you can get everything if you just go to that web address. It's all there. Okay, go to that web address. And thank you so much, Barb. You're an absolute joy. You are a gem. Um, you are precious. And um, uh, people need to check out all of your work from the music to the writing to everything. And I can't wait to thank read you. your future books um, coming up as well. Thank um, you. Thank you, thank for you listening. to both of you. Oh, our, our pleasure, our pleasure. Um, we will be back here again next week with yet another show. I have no idea what it is, but I can guarantee you it will be worth listening to. Also read the Los Angeles Blade, losangelesblade.com. Um, you can look me up on there. I've got articles, and, um, and Brody has articles, and there is brand new news every single day. But for those of us that rated LGBT radio, we will be back again soon, and we will talk to you again then. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.